0: welcome to the bloom podcast
1: blimey that's a bit funereal
0: (laughs) a bit bit of energy this is the cancer episode i didn't want to be too cheerful
1: welcome to the bloom podcast and in this episode i'm talking to Susie about a diagnosis and successful treatment for breast cancer hopefully successful treatment i'm sure it is and of course this is a tough topic may not be for everyone Hey, Susie. Hey, Steve. Cancer, eh?
0: Apparently so. So I had no symptoms. There was nothing. There was no lump. There was nothing strange going on. I just had a a routine mammogram, which I only have because my GP tells me to, to, because there there is a little bit of family history. It was just like when you go to the dentist for your routine checkup and they say, how is everything? Yeah, nothing, nothing. So I did the mammogram. This was at Christmas time last year. I got the phone call to come back in on the day of my work Christmas party. So I must say I was feeling a bit grim when everyone else was, was very jolly. And you go back in and sit in your little robe and, and read brochures that say, it's almost certainly not cancer don't worry, most women who get recalled do not have cancer. So there's that all over the brochures. And then uh, there were more tests. There was uh, another marigram ultrasounds, biopsies, all this kind of thing. But I, I didn't, They, I just didn't like what was happening. I mean, I could tell, obviously I didn't like what was happening, but they were saying that in most cases it's, a, don't worry, it's probably not cancer. In most cases it's a cyst or something like that. And one of the things that, you know, they always tell you, everyone tells you not to Google, but of course you do. Who who doesn't Google? I don't. Well, I I Google anyway, even if I'm told not to. So maybe there are stronger people out there than me who who manage not to Google. I saw on Google that cysts are often smooth-sided and we got to the bit about the ultrasound and I could see it on the ultrasound and it was not smooth-sided. Side, it was very, very pokey and pointy. And I said to the, to the operator there, it's, if it's a cyst, is it more likely to be smooth-sided? Like it's round, like a, like a little football. And she said, uh, yes. <laughs> and I said, that one's not very smooth, is it? And she said, um, no. <laughs> so, so I had a bad feeling. I had a very bad feeling. And then the results were pretty quick um, just a couple of days later. And we went back in, this was this was in the time when my husband could come with me to appointments, um, which is not the case now. So we went in and then they took us into this room. So there was me and him and there was a, a nurse counsellor and a surgeon. And I, I remember looking at my husband thinking, I'm sure they don't give you two people if they're going to say, including a counsellor, if they're going to say, no, you're fine, go home again. Um, so, yeah, yes, it was, uh, it was positive. It was, uh, so it was a cancer.
1: And what was that moment of diagnosis like?
0: Pretty awful. Certainly for me, my life flashed before my eyes and, oh, the kids are so young and all this sort of thing, as you do. Uh, they were pretty clear that it was early but aggressive, that it would need aggressive treatment. Because it was right before Christmas, there was this big flurry of having to get into my GP and it was literally just two days before they, or they were closing the next day or something like that. And, um, my GP actually came back in specially to see me when she'd gone home to, to, and then she had to find a surgeon who was still working through Christmas and the break. So there was, it just became a very, um, lots of things that had to be done. I didn't go back to work. Um I, I talked to my boss who was fantastic and just said, Well, I'm not coming back in today, and or indeed before Christmas. And and so I didn't. I talked to my my close family and my line manager at work, but not more widely. I just didn't feel ready to be to be broadcasting this kind of thing.
1: Hmm. Did it feel like a death sentence?
0: Not once I, I once I found my, my equilibrium again. I mean, I had a few sleepless nights, but because I've had both a close family member and uh, very good friends who I've seen go through this process and, and come out and are still, fortunately, still with us, I, I was working on the assumption that, that that would happen to me, that there would be a, a nasty treatment, but then I would be okay afterwards.
1: And you mentioned the kids, I suppose that's, that's what's up, uppermost in, in your mind, isn't it? The, the thought that you, you know, the, how they are going to cope, that they are going to, you know, that they're going to be greatly affected by it.
0: Yeah, and we've always been a pretty transparent family. We believe in, in talking things through. So I talked to them and I, I started saying they found a lump. And my son said, is it a tumour? Is it cancer? And I went, whoa, what have, what have you been doing at school? What have you been reading? But I was able to tell them that, like our family member, it's terrible luck, but I will be okay. So I was able to give them a lot of reassurance that I, at that point, didn't necessarily feel myself, but that was what I was able to say. And then my son said, and does this mean, does this mean my sister might get, might get it as well when she's older? So very perceptive questions there. And that's always the, the sort of painful thing is worrying about worrying about your children really, um, as, a, as a mother, because that was also on my mind.
1: So then h- how long was it from diagnosis to surgery?
0: So the diagnosis was just before Christmas, and I had the surgery in the break between Christmas and New Year. and uh, if anyone's listening to this who's been through it, they'll, they'll probably know that the order of events is different for everybody and the treatment is different for everybody. In my case, they did the surgery first. And then chemo, and then radio. Other people have chemo, and then they have the surgery. So yeah, it was uh, finding finding a surgeon who was working in that break. My kids were away, staying at their grandparents in New South Wales, so it was a good time to recover. Though for anyone who's who's in Australia, it was also the time of the fires, so that was uh, added an extra layer of anxiety on on what was happening because the kids were up in a country region. Then I sort of bounced back from the surgery, and then there was a weird period of waiting where they were running extra tests to see if I would need chemo or not. So they were saying, Well, you might, you're probably going to need chemo, but just in case you don't get prepared for radio straight away instead there was a problem with the results, so they had to run it. again. So it took longer than it should have. It took a couple of weeks of just waiting to find out if I was going to need chemo or not. So I went back to work at that time, didn't talk to anyone about it, just tried to sort of have a normal kind of life while spending the back of my mind wondering and worrying about whether I would need chemo. And then the the result came through that, that yes, it's going to be chemo. I'm in a, a, a fortunate position that I was able to just take the time off work Some people try and work through or work part-time and I just decided not to do that, Um, which was good as it turned out because I don't think I would have been able to. I was pretty – it knocked me over. I think I would have really struggled to to go to work at all in that period. So at work – and I still hadn't told anyone and I I just – I didn't really want the sympathy. I didn't want the thing of you – Everybody looking at you and talking about you. I called a meeting with my my line manager. My work were fantastic. My manager, HR, they were they were great. I called a meeting with um, my key colleagues and said, "Oh well, I'm I'm off. Got cancer. Taking six months off or so. Bye. See you later." <laughs> and then just just wandered out. And then their their poor shocked faces. It was terrible. But I, I don't know. I don't know if there was a better way of doing that. But that's that's what I did.
1: What was the most the most surprising or the the hardest things about the treatment regime?
0: Leading into it, there were an awful, leading into the chemo itself, there were an awful lot of tests. There was some pretty freaky stuff with nuclear medicine where they're injecting, right? There was, there was a, a, I had a PET scan at one point. Uh, I, I sat in a, a tiny room and they put the cannula in and then they threaded the, the thing through through a little hole in the wall and then from the other side of the wall they injected this radioactive stuff and then I had to stay in this room with these really thick walls for for like two hours where my while well, my body, because I was full body radioactive. So that was weird. <laughs> that was very weird. There was a different thing where I was also radioactive and they just told me not to get too close to small children for the rest of the day <laughs> 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 because they're... Adult bodies could, could manage that level of radioactivity, but but children couldn't. There was a, a thing where they gave me these four injections of a blue dye to trace something about the lymph nodes, to trace uh, what which lymph node things drained into. Before the first one, the woman said, now you can call me names, you can shout at me, but please don't hit me. I'm not a violent person. I, I thought, oh gosh, is there something about me that makes her think? I might uh, take a swing at her, and then she did the first one of these four injections, and then I understood it was it was just the most incredibly painful thing i've ever i've ever had in my life. just for a moment it was just horrifically painful, so I did swear I didn't hit her, but lying there, having had one horrible injection and knowing there's three more to come, and then having had two and knowing there's two more to come, and then having had three. And knowing there's just, there's one. So, so just lying still to let her do this very, very painful thing to me was, uh, took a massive effort of willpower. The chemotherapy itself was on the, certainly on the day, it's unremarkable. You just, you go, it's quite boring for me. You take a book, you take your phone charger, you take a blanket. They bring you snacks and you just lie there with a, for, for four or five hours or whatever it is while they, while they pump stuff into your body the chemotherapy it's it's for me it was the and with the particular treatment that i had it was 2 days after 3 days after 4 days after that it really started to hit
1: people talk about chemo brain did you have that
0: yeah, I did, just where I couldn't find my words or I couldn't find my thought process more than usual. <laughs> there, there was a bit, I had to explain it to the kids. I said to my daughter, I was trying to say your lunch is in the fridge and what came out was <laughs> Bernie Eccleston is in the fridge.
1: <laughs>
0: Izzy, just go to the fridge. Bernie Eccleston's in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then. He's well,
1: certainly small <laughs> enough.
0: Well, then I've got a big fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to explain chemo brain to the So there was that kind of thing, just weird, random stuff like that. The chemo itself was was hard work and it got harder. And again, it's pretty hard. to. It's just difficult to do something that you know. So going back in, but knowing that you're going to get progressively feel more and more ill and more and more weak. It was terrible. I hope to never, ever have to do something like that again. But it was also okay. I spent a lot of time just in bed. So, what I discovered was it's not possible to push through it. You know, normally you're tired, or even if you're sick or something like that, you can sort of push through and get it done. And with chemo, for me, it just wasn't possible. So, there was a day that I, I tried to push through it and accidentally passed out in the living room and had to be. Had to be carried back to bed. I took that as a little lesson and just um,
1: rested a bit more. You're fortunate in that you had great support around you.
0: I do feel very lucky considering that I had cancer. But yes, I do. (laughs) In my (laughs) lucky cancer girl, Um, in my support, my, my husband is fantastic. He was built to be a carer. He's very practical. He doesn't. He's not squeamish which is very useful when someone's having chemotherapy. You really need someone not to be squeamish. Uh, so he was really just doing all the, the family lifting, the the running around with the kids and the food and, and working and keeping on me. And lots of friends, people really come to the party, friends dropping off food and sending lovely gifts, all that stuff. I felt the support and, and the love of the people who care about me.
1: One of the things that I guess most of us are aware of with chemotherapy is that it can mean you lose all your hair. How was that for you?
0: That was that was kind of crap. I mean, I've had short hair before. There are there are women who have always had long hair or have always had a certain hairstyle, and I think it would be much harder for them when it's so t- if it's if having your your hair look a certain way is really tied into your 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 self identity. But having hair is tied into my self identity i've always i've always had hair uh, as long as I can remember. I got a short haircut first just to sort of try and get used to the idea they offered me um they have a cold capping system, so they offered me that where they put freezer packs on your head and uh, that can save some of your hair. and Freezer I,
1: packs on your head.
0: They get your scalp down to well below freezing point and that stops the chemotherapy getting to that part of your, those, those parts of your cells. This is the highly technical medical explanation. Um, so you have to, the women who do that, you have to go in for an hour beforehand and an hour afterwards. So if the chemotherapy itself is going to take four or five hours, then it turns it into a six or seven hour expedition and it's quite it's very very cold I did some reading up on it it's extremely cold it's very tight on your head I get migraine as I think I've mentioned in this podcast before and the idea of having a very very cold tight thing sitting on my head for hours and hours I just and it 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 has a it has um, some level of success but it's not it it means for most women I think it means they lose only some of their hair not all of their hair so it just I just decided not to not to do that I got a very short haircut and then about, uh, so I had that for, I guess, uh, three weeks before my hair started to come out. And then I was bald. I got a, I got a wig. I never really wore it because by the time, as it turned out, by the time that happened, we were pretty much in lockdown. I sort of panic bought a lot of scarves and hats and and a wig. And what I wore mostly was uh, one of my friends who is a milliner gave me some berets, and so I wore berets. And then I got a little hairpiece that so looks a bit like a hamster. And so you sort of tuck that under the beret, and that creates a fringe. Which just because a beret on a on a totally bald head, you just you still look like a bald person. So I had this little little hamster hairpiece. And I tried that a few times, going to cafes and things like that. But then, mostly around the house, I was just bald. And sometimes I was just bald out and about as well. If I was feeling brave, I made a a cancer buddy friend, and she just went bald. And that gave me a lot of lot of courage to to also go bald. I was on a I was listening to a wellness seminar just the other day, and the man I've no idea why. He was going down this path, but he said that he found it really fierce when women shave their head. But it's it's not like that. It's quite different to have a very, very short or a bald haircut or have lost your hair to chemotherapy. They're quite different because I lost my eyebrows and I lost my eyelashes and all my everything. So you don't look sort of fierce and cool and hipster. You just look really, really bald <laughs> and bald all over. Maybe some women cope well with it, but I think a lot of it—it it, it, wasn't—it wasn't the most fun part. But I, yeah, so I wore I wore the berets, or I just just went bald around the house. And now it's grown back, and now I've got a, a short haircut again.
1: And while all this was going on, it was Corona time.
0: The period of my treatment really coincided with the first lockdown. So it was as I was getting into the treatment, the virus, the news about the virus was coming out. I left work to start treatment. A week later, a couple of weeks later, not not that long after anyway, they closed the office down and everyone went home. The first two chemo sessions, my husband was able to come with me, but then after that he wasn't and they started doing the temperature checks and all that kind of thing. By the time I got to the radiotherapy, so radiotherapy you go every day, um, in my case for, for three or four weeks, they, uh, they changed my, they tweaked my treatment slightly to make it shorter and more concentrated so that there'd be less people around. So, yeah, by the time I got to radiotherapy, at the door of the hospital you got the interview, have you been in China recently? It was at first or then it was have you been overseas recently? Do you have a cough? Um, then they did the temperature check and then they did the full-body thermal imaging. When I was really out of it, having the chemo was also the period when a lockdown period when people were not able to leave the house. Uh, I'm not saying it was convenient because obviously the pandemic was incredibly difficult for many people and really massive impact on a lot of people. But for me, at least, it it was a good time to be home. I was going to be home anyway. I was worried about the kids bringing home infection one of the things that happens with chemo is you you are immune compromised they gave me this this spiel like like four or five times if you get any infection it's really dangerous if you get a temp, you have to take your temperature if your temperature gets to 38 you go to er they gave me a special card if i had to go to er Um, to hand over so you get the fast treatment. So if you have a fever in the middle of the night, if it's 2 a.m., you go then, you don't wait until the morning. You must go straight away. Infection is incredibly dangerous. So there was all of this going on. I was thinking, how on earth am I going to go through months of this and have three kids in school? Someone will bring home a cold. Of course they will. So we were just sort of getting into that and going, wow, well, how are we going to deal with that? And then the schools closed and, and the kids were all, were all studying from home. So in some ways it was, for me personally, it, it was convenient, I suppose, that these two things coincided. But at the same time you were having to be extra,
1: extra careful.
0: But it was easier to do because I wasn't going anywhere or doing anything. We went very quickly to um, click and collect or grocery deliveries, which nearly killed my husband because he does love a shop. <laughs> He's He's in given his own uh, left to himself, he'd be in Aldi every day. So um, getting a delivery once or twice a week was a, a bit of a struggle for him. And then he started stockpiling. Well, not stockpiling, but it was almost almost a bunker mentality. The pantry overflowed and then we, we created a subsidiary pantry in the laundry. He wanted to be prepared. We got all the groceries delivered. we stopped sort of going into shops. Even now, um, I am still immune compromised to some degree, so we are being super careful. We wipe down everything that enters the house, either put it into storage for a couple of days or um, wipe it down. We go through those antiseptic wipes like nobody's business. So now, where are you at? I've done the chemo, I've done the radio, so I'm finished with active treatment, still trying to get the right balance with the the medications and having various checkups and all sorts of things, but prognosis is, is good. I'm back at work. I'm trying to figure out what medication works best for me. Life after breast cancer, life after cancer is a whole thing in itself. It's like a whole new phase. One of the things the breast care nurse said to me was, your life will change. And I said, from what to what? <laughs> this is, and she said, well, I can't tell you how, but your life will change. And I went, well, that's not very useful. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for trying. But, um, I'm not sure what to do with that. So now I'm thinking, well, has my life changed or has it not? And I don't, I don't quite know what the answer is. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing physio to try and get my energy back and get my strength back and trying to work out what's the after effects of the treatment um, or the medication or whatever else. I'm not where I was. says it takes 12 months really to recover from chemo. I feel so much more like myself than I if I went back to into the active treatment phase. I feel much more like myself than I thought I would, would ever be able to come back to. But yes, I'm, I, I suppose now I'm discovering what life after cancer is and how it has changed me. And I don't Know what the answer is yet?
1: But thinking back over the whole experience, Susie, what is it that worked for you that helped to keep you going, to keep you sane, to to get you through this toughest of tough times?
0: There's something there about knowing how to reach out, being willing to accept help. I joined uh, a couple of support groups, Facebook support groups that were really helpful. Had to be careful with when I was feeling up for reading because there's always bad news stories there if you look hard enough. Knowing when to, when to talk about it and when I didn't want to talk about it. I did a lot of not talking about it. There were a couple of friends who I specifically said to them, I, I don't want to talk about how I am or how I'm feeling or what treatment I'm going through. Let's just have a normal conversation, feeling strong enough to actually say that. So to ask for, for the help I wanted and really be explicit when I didn't want to just have days and days filled with cancer talk. I am very lucky in that my husband is, is a strong person and able to give me that very practical support. Like any if someone if you have something bad happen and you're not in a good personal situation, then it's going to be so much more difficult to process. Every cancer is different. How a person responds is different. Everybody's everybody's medical treatment is different as well. You can't really compare other people might have a breast cancer that was very similar to mine in, in terms of the makeup or whatever else, but they might have ended up with quite a different treatment schedule. How I responded to this major health crisis I think would be quite different to how, how the next person would respond. It's just so individual.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bloom Podcast. If you like us, tell a friend.
0: And why wouldn't you like us?
1: And why not? <laughs> if you don't like us tell somebody you really dislike.
0: Uh.